Collective Cast number two, Seven Habits, Paradigms, and Principles. You're tuned to the Collective Cast. Agents of the Collective strive to fight, adapt, and grow. Whether facing the evils of the world or those within ourselves, we support one another and leave nobody behind. And now, here's your host of the Collective Cast, The Cryptic Chameleon. Hello, fellow members of the Collective. I am Chris, also known as the Cryptic Chameleon, and welcome back as we continue our journey to fight, adapt, and grow. I hope that you are all doing well. This week we're starting, well, not so much this week, but uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I'm going to be also over time talking about my struggles to implement said habits in my life. And if you want to follow along, I will put links to where you can find the book, either on Amazon or Kobo, in the show notes. I do not make any money from those links. Anyway, so I started reading the first couple of chapters in this book, and one of the big things that immediately stuck out to me was their description about the difference between personality ethic and character ethic. And the problem with most of our society nowadays is that we have such a focus on personality. Um, In short, the idea that success is a function of our image, of our attitudes and behaviors, of our skills and techniques that help us to make it easier to interact with other people. Basically, what will make other people like me? What will make other people see me in a positive way? How can I get them to do for me what I need them to do? And, and you know, not really go beyond that. If you think about it, now granted I haven't read this book, but if you think about the classic book titled How to Win Friends and Influence People, that's that sounds almost manipulative when you think about that title. Now, I'm not saying the content of the book is manipulative. I'm just saying the title itself, how to win friends and influence people, meaning how can I do things to make people see me in such a way that I could influence their behavior or how to prove myself to people to become their friends. The the reason why things like this doesn't work, don't work rather, things, for example, like the free webinar that you see that's you know, 30 to 60 minutes long, and then they upsell you a $1,000 course that's going to change your life. And then you pay for the course. And even when you implement things, it just fizzles out. Well, no organization technique, no magic thing that will change a single behavior is going to fix my problem. Why? Because my problems are problems of character. Character ethic is the integration of basic principles of effective living into the core character of oneself. That means that I really have to develop principles and change my paradigm or the way that I see the world before what I'm doing is actually going to change. If I treat the personality problems, 
if I just try to change behaviors or if I just try to find a quick and easy way of dealing with things, if I just try to make people like me, which is what I've done for so much of my life, it's not going to fix anything. I have to change my worldview, and that's fundamentally harder than behavior change. And as I've said to my current spouse, who will be my former spouse, that it's like playing whack-a-mole when you're dealing with behavior change. You're like, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, no, I missed that one. And I missed that one. And now I'm bashing against a brick wall. Ugh. It's so, so hard to change behavior, especially when you fundamentally may have multiple behaviors that you have to fix because the behaviors don't stem from nowhere. It's not like you start acting or I started acting this way from nowhere. I started acting this way because of the quality of my character, because of my ingrained principles and paradigms. So let's talk about paradigms a little bit. Think about it. A paradigm is your view of the world or my view of the world. And it might not be something that you recognize right away. For example, I always thought that, you know, I was a good guy, generally speaking. And I thought that, you know, there are certain good things about the world that I believed in, or at least I thought I believed in them. But the problem is I didn't act them out. You know, I thought that I was, you know, a great religious person and I thought that I really, really knew how to love people and all this stuff. And really, uh, my view of the world was very much, I'm a victim. Nobody will ever like me. Nobody will ever love me. I just have to be what other people want me to be. And then when I wasn't doing that, the other side is I was controlling. If if I'm not just going to do what other people like, I have to very control very tightly control the circumstance so that I'm getting what I want, regardless of how that might impact other people. Very, very selfish worldview. But I didn't see it that way until recently. And now I'm in a world of hurt because I've discovered that my paradigm, the way that I see the world, is fundamentally flawed. And those are just two examples. So what's the paradigm that I have to shift to? Well, I need to shift to a principle-centered worldview. And what does that mean? Well, it means that there need to be certain guiding principles that are good for all mankind that are at the center of my character. And it's going to take a long time to ingrain these in me, not just at a surface, oh yeah, I believe that, Or maybe that's a value because one of the things the book said is even thieves can have values. They value getting away from the police. They value getting away with money. They value being able to fool people. But that's not the same as a principle. A principle is deeper. Your principles guide values. At least this is what I'm finding out from the book. Now, keep in mind, I'm not an expert in any of this. I am trying to build this in my life. But to give you an idea, principles are things like the concepts of fairness, honesty, integrity, service, quality or excellence, potential, growth, patience, gratitude, vulnerability. All of those are principles. So either they mean something or they don't. And fairness, 
and honesty and integrity, you know, a lot of us say, yeah, yeah, we believe in that. We think that those are good things to do. Those are good things to be. But unless they're a core of us and to violate them would be a violation of our very selves. From what I'm seeing and what I'm learning, they don't mean anything. They're just good ideas. They're, they're good ideas. Wow. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I believe in honesty. But, you know, there are plenty of times I'm not honest. I believe in, uh, you know, excellence. I believe that it's good to accomplish excellent things or to strive for excellence. But do I really strive for excellence that much? Probably not. So... How do how do I go about fixing this? And that's why I'm reading this book because it has some level of instruction on how I could possibly work on this. So what is a habit as defined in the seven habits of highly effective people? The concept of a habit is the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. So first of all, to build a habit, you have to have knowledge of what you're trying to do. You, you have to learn what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If you don't know, then how are you going to potentially build that, that up? If you don't know what you need to do, how are you going to do it? Secondly, it requires skill. Once you know how to do something, you have to actually have the capability of doing it. And sometimes that's really hard because there are plenty of things I know to be right. I know to be the right way to see the world or to do things, but doing it is a whole nother side of the equation. So it requires practice. It requires long, hard effort. And I'm not great with that, to be honest. Long, hard efforts are not my strong suit. Which brings in the third part, desire. Given that it takes time knowledge and skill to build a habit you have to have or I have to have rather a true desire to implement this habit in my life and sometimes that desire just isn't there there have been plenty of times in my life where I've desired to change things about myself and then I started working on it and I realized oh this is this is hard I'm nope not gonna do it because I didn't have a full enough desire Well, once I hit the brick wall that I hit in August of this past year, 2021, or sorry, 2020, uh, I, I came up with the desire when I was able to see that my worldview, that my behaviors, at least maybe not even my worldview, I hadn't seen it at that point, but that my, that the things that I was doing were so fundamentally harmful to myself and to others. Yeah, that's. That's a big deal. So I need to work through a paradigm shift of shifting my current worldview to a very principle-centered worldview and saying to myself, do you know what? These are the things that I need to be no matter what. These are the things that are the core of me. Kindness, generosity, uh, all of those types of things. Compassion. Those need to be at my core all the time. It needs to be such a harmful thing or such an ingrained thing inside of me that I'm almost not even capable of violating them. And it's going to take a long, long time to get there. So 
In addition to that, the early chapters of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about the curve of growth we're all supposed to go through. And we basically start off in life from a dependence model. We're dependent upon our parents to give us everything. I know I was dependent on my parents to give me everything. I wasn't born and then, you know, just went out, got a job and, you know, was able to pay for my own stuff and all of that. You know, there were at least 18 years of my life, if not longer, where my parents were in some way providing for me. And the problem is now a lot of people don't get beyond dependence. I know it took me a long time to get beyond dependence and I'm still not beyond dependence. I went from being dependent on my parents to being dependent on my spouse. And that's codependency. It means that I want my needs met without having to do a ton of work. That doesn't sound like a very strong character ethic, does it? But that's who I was. And to a certain extent, that extent that's still who I am now. I'm working to change that. But dependence is where you are or I am reliant upon an individual or a group of individuals for validation and for a certain sense of even physical well-being, physical safety and security. Dependence is a not great place to be as an adult. Luckily, at one point, I became financially independent. I was able to figure out how to get my finances under control and not be in debt anymore because when I turned 18, the first thing I did was got a credit card. Yep, that's right. I can't afford. I I had a job at a grocery store and I had no patience to save for things. So what did I do? I got a credit card so I could get a really expensive video camera, you know, and I used the credit card for other things after that. And I kept spending and spending. And then I would, uh, you know, I got a car and I got a car on credit and then I you know, missed a few payments, no big deal. I missed a few payments, right? And they repossessed my car, which then I lost my job because my car was repossessed. Um, It was a bad timing thing, but those circumstances were still my fault as well. So yeah, that's an example of me just not moving to a proper sense of independence. And that's what I'm doing right now is working to become independent. And independence does not mean separation from other people. You know, I'm not, I'm not seeking to run away and become a hermit and live in a cave. That's my independence. And I'm also not seeking to go out and do whatever the heck I want. That's not independence either. Independence is me knowing that I'm safe and secure in myself, that I could take care of my own needs, that if I need to cook and clean, find a place to live, take care of myself, I can do that, that I don't need the validation of others, that I am secure emotionally within myself. That's independence. But independence is not the be-all, end-all. Independence is the second step in this, this journey, so to speak, or this curve of development that we all go through. The real goal is what's known as interdependence. Interdependence doesn't mean that you are reliant or I am reliant on another person for my well-being or my gratification or my self-esteem or any of that stuff. Interdependence means that 
you know what? You and I are working towards a common goal. And it would be really great if we help each other or wanted the best for each other and work together to achieve those things. Ideally, this is what a marriage would be. A marriage is, you know, an idea of two people being independent people, still being able to do their own things if they want to, but still having a set of common goals that they're both striving to and building each other up and helping each other to reach those common goals because they know that that's what's best for each other. If you think about business, ideally, a business is not just the business hires you to get value from you. It's not just the business demands work and then we work and then we come home. It's that it should be a group effort of, well, you know what? If the business does well, then I'm going to do well. If I can make sure that people in the business have a good relationship, if I can contribute to a good business environment, if I can make the experience better for customers and for employees together, if I can develop a good team mentality and help others, help to inspire others to build that, it's going to be a better workplace, we're going to have better products, and we're going to have more real relationships with customers interdependence is what makes the world go round. Yes, to a certain extent, I'm dependent on my job to pay me money. And the job is dependent on me to bring value to the table as an employee. That's really interdependence. We don't work without each other. So the curve to follow is dependence to independence to interdependence. That's where things need to go. And unfortunately, I'm stuck between dependence and independence. (laughs) It's not a great place to be. And that's where the seven habits of highly effective people come in. So there are seven of these, and the first three help somebody move from dependence to inter... or not interdependence, dependence to independence. I'm looking at my notes and misreading them here. So the first three habits are private victories. They will be victories for me as I go through them. And believe me, these will not be easy to achieve. But I really hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that um, by ingraining these in me, it will make a difference. So the first three habits that are private and help us to get to independence. One, be proactive. And I'll be talking about that once I get through the chapter on proactivity, which will probably be for next week's episode. Two, begin with the end in mind. And three, put first things first. I'm not going to elaborate on two or three because I haven't started reading those chapters yet, and I'm not an expert. I'm just going as I go here. You're journeying along with me as I'm going through this journey myself, and I thank you for being with me. And if this helps you with your journey... I'm very grateful that it helps you as well. The second set of three habits are guiding somebody from interdependence, sorry, independence to interdependence. And these are public victories. These are things that other people would see if I were able to change them. So, for example, these, these habits are for number four, think win-win. Number five, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And number six, synergize. Now, 
Um, I'm a little bit nervous about the term synergize, given that you know we have these these terms in business that synergy became kind of a corporate buzzword for a long time. But it'll be interesting to see what it means in the context of the book. And last but not least, the seventh habit is to sharpen the saw or a process of renewal that helps to drive a cycle between the other six habits. All right. So the seven habits in total are be proactive, begin with the end in mind, put first things first, think win-win, seek to understand, then to be understood, synergize, and sharpen the saw or renewal. And those are the quote-unquote seven habits. Now, I'm not plagiarizing the book. (laughs) I'm summarizing the book here. Now, to get to the last part of kind of the opening chapters or opening, might be opening two chapters here, there's a portion where it talks about effectiveness. What is effectiveness? And how do these habits drive effectiveness? Well, according to the author, effectiveness is a proper balance between the production and production capability, or P slash PC balance. And what does that mean? Well, uh, I thought of a way of putting this. For me, I like coffee. I think many people like coffee. In fact, a good chunk of popular culture makes it apparent or tries to give the appearance of people liking coffee or needing coffee. So how does coffee work? Well, generally speaking, I either have to go somewhere to get coffee or I have to make coffee. Well, how would I make coffee? Well, generally, most people have a coffee pot or a coffee machine that makes coffee. So what happens, though, if I make coffee every day? I make a whole pot, and I don't actually. But I'm saying, what happens if I make a whole pot of coffee every day? But I never take care of the coffee pot. So I never pour vinegar in it to clean out the scale from, you know, hard water or for whatever. What if I never clean the coffee carafe? What if I never do anything to maintain that machine? Well, then sooner or later, that machine isn't going to be capable of making coffee anymore. So my goal is the production of coffee. I want coffee. But I also have to have a production capability. I have to have the ability to make coffee. And if I don't take care of the coffee machine... I'm not going to be able to have coffee. This happens in my office all the time. Well, when we used to work in offices, right now it's COVID. But there's a community coffee machine, or a couple of them actually. And guess what? Some of these you know, need certain types of maintenance, like the coffee grounds have to be emptied, and certain powders need to be filled, and all sorts of other things of that nature. And it would be nice if maybe the drip tray was cleaned off every now and then and emptied. But people don't always do these things. So what happens? The machines break down. And then it's even a hassle for some people to report this breakage of the machine. Like, oh, it's just going to fix itself, or I'll just go use the other machine. But the fact is, is that we're not caring for the thing that makes the coffee. So we can't have coffee. On the flip side, though, there's also the opposite. Sometimes somebody will buy a really nice coffee pot 
and use it only once or twice because it's so special to them. It's so valuable that they care more about keeping it clean or keeping it, you know, so that it will run nice. So they'll buy an espresso machine, like one of the small home espresso machines, but they'll make espresso once, even though they might really like espresso. They're just like, ah, this this machine was like 500 bucks. I I don't want to break it. And so you can go the opposite way. So you can either care too much about getting the end result without caring about maintaining what it takes to create that end result, or you can care too much about what it takes to create the end result and you never get it. And this is true for several different types of assets that we have in life. For example, physical assets. Uh, I just use the example of a coffee maker. You know, if I don't take care of the coffee maker, I don't have coffee. And if I care too much for the coffee maker, then I don't have coffee, not because I can't have it, but because I care too much about protecting the ability to create said coffee. With financial assets, think of it this way, my situation that I talked about earlier, where I went into debt because I wanted the great goods of life. How often do we do this? We see something and we buy it. I know I still struggle with this a little bit. You know, I see a new game and I want to buy it. Or I see a new web camera and I want to get it. And I want to build a new streaming computer to, you know, be able to do better productions. But guess what? I can't just go out and buy those things. They're not cheap. And I have other things that I need to pay for. So, yeah, I could go and buy those things on credit and rack up debt and then constantly be striving to try to pay that debt off and maybe even go into bankruptcy because I don't pay off that debt. I could do that. I could live the good life and then I could lose it all. Or I could live the flip side. I could just spend nothing. I could be like, oh no, you know, what if an emergency happens? What if, um, you know, I really don't need to spend anything on myself. You know, this is selfish. I shouldn't spend anything on myself ever because uh, that, that makes me a selfish person. And so I need to, you know, just save everything. Well, then I never get to enjoy anything. I never get to buy any wine or, uh, you know, whiskey or beer. I never get to go on Amazon and just buy something because I want it or get new books. Where's the fun in that? And lastly, there are human assets, and these are the people in our lives or in my life. So what happens if I have the demand of production of my happiness from my spouse, but at that person's expense? What if I never do anything for them? Well, their production capability of my happiness is going to run out relatively quickly. Now, that's basically what's happening in my life now. I have neglected my relationship and been abusive and manipulative in my relationship in such a way that once the scales fell off of both of our eyes, and they fell off her eyes first, we realized that I cared more about the production of my own safety, security, and happiness than I cared about her and what her needs were. And it stinks admitting that. It was a hard blow. And it could have been the opposite. What if I had fallen over and become a complete doormat? What if I had done every single thing that she ever wanted me to do? What if I did that to the detriment of myself? Well, then the production capability for my happiness was there. 
generally speaking, or mutual happiness, I'll say. But I would never engage in it. I would say, oh, I'm not worth it. Don't, don't do that. Let me, I want to do for you, but don't ever do for me. That would not be a good life either, although that's not the way that I lived. It needs to be about mutually working and striving together. And that's why my marriage fell apart. Because I couldn't see how my worldview and my brokenness did that until it was too late. So that's why the seven habits are effective because they allow for a person, and I really am hopeful about this, to have the balance between the production of something, be it coffee or personal well-being, versus the production capability, meaning doing the upkeep that's necessary to make it so that you can continue to produce that or so that, in my case, I can continue to produce that. So that was only the first couple of chapters or maybe even the first chapter of the seven habits of highly effective people and what I've learned from it so far. And I'm going to keep sharing that with you as I go. Speaking of production and production capability, um, I really enjoy doing this podcast because it's, first of all, forces me to be raw about who I really am and where I've made mistakes in life and where I'm trying to fix things. But second of all, it's it's just great being able to connect with people and to take this material and put it out there so that other people might be able to learn. And if you're finding value in that, I ask that you please show some level of value in return. Now, this doesn't mean it has to be money, but believe me, I would gratefully accept any donations. There's always a link in the show notes to be able to do that. But also hop into the Discord channel so that we can talk. Or if you have ideas, if you have encouragement, send an email to collectivecastfeedback at gmail.com. And I will be very happy to read that and to respond back to you and really to try to develop a, a solid community for the collective where we can all encourage each other like this. That's what value for value is. It means that you find value in this in some way and in some way you return value. Again, that doesn't mean money. It just means maybe reaching out and saying hello. Whatever this is worth to you in your life. Hey, if it's worth a cup of coffee and you want to toss me five bucks on PayPal or three bucks on PayPal, then that's fine. But um, it definitely, you know, any show of value back for the value that I hopefully am bringing into your life would be appreciated. And um, I really mean that, you know, It, it doesn't have to be money. I just like connecting with people or if you think that you can help in building the collective or you have some tips or tricks for me, that's great too. Time, talent, or treasure, whatever value you get out of this, if you could show that back, it's appreciated. Speaking of which, if you want to do that, you can you can connect to me on collectivecast.com. There's also collectivecastfeedback at gmail.com if you want to send feedback in. And last but not least, you can always leave a review in your podcast directory of choice and that does that's another way of supporting me and connecting with me. I'm also on Twitter and a whole bunch of other places. Join the Discord, say hi, you know, let's build a real community. And with that, members of the collective, we're going to wrap up episode 2 of the collective cast. I hope that you're learning as much as I am here and I hope 
that this encourages you in some way. I want to thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, take care. I am Chris, also known as the Cryptic Chameleon. We'll see you in episode three.